JJ, before we get started, uh-huh. before we introduce the podcast, uh-huh. I got to tell you, we are hiring at StoryBrand. I know. <laughs> I've mapped out 2018. We need six new positions. <laughs> and I think, sort of talking earlier, we might have to find a seventh, which almost doubles us. I mean, we're like 12 people now full time and then a bunch of other. But we're hiring. Yeah. And it's a great company to work for. Yep. We might hire you if you're listening. <laughs> if you're very, very smart and like us, you're very good looking. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the qu- <laughs> only the only prerequisites: smart and good looking. You just have to look as good as we do. <laughs> so low bar. <laughs> anyway, if you're interested in a job, we've got some jobs listed, and we're going to list more throughout the coming twelve months. Just go to storybrand.com/jobs. Storybrand.com/jobs. We're not trying to sell you anything here. Mm-mm. We're trying to give you money in exchange yeah. for work. Yeah, it's come an old join concept. us. Come have fun. We're looking for a tractor driver. Uh, we're looking mm. for a mascot. Mm. We're looking for somebody who makes good pasta. Mm. That yes, that yes, <laughs> that yes. Storybrand.com/jobs. If you're interested, if you hate your job but you're really good, <laughs> contact us. We might hire you. Storybrand.com/jobs. Now to the podcast. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm here with my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. Okay, J.J., I have a question. Go. You have to go for the Mm -hmm. next 12 months Uh in order to survive. Yep. You have to go door to door. Okay. And sell something. Oh, man. What is it, and how do you sell it? Donuts (laughs) Donuts <laughs> with my door to door. You're gonna go. You're gonna starve. Oh, well, you could eat the donuts. Nope. Yeah, <laughs> come on. No, I will be eating those along the way. Because I think you <laughs> really you like have to. The first of... off, you have to believe in your product, <laughs> and I would believe in that. Um, you know what you do? You get donuts now. Yeah, because yeah. you say these things, and then everywhere you go, they give you a bunch of donuts. And... I don't hate it. <laughs> I, don't hate it. <laughs> I just got some donuts today, actually. What are you gonna sell? <laughs> what would I sell if I'm going door to door? Truthfully, it'd probably be some kind of food item. You, you sell really? what you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like some chocolate or I don't know. <laughs> I would sell, I mean, I'm thinking strategically here. Yeah. I'd sell like. Um, oh, you want me to make money doing it? Yeah, you got to make money. Oh. Okay, I'll go first. Go. A projector. Go on. I'd have a projector be $1,000. Uh-huh. I got a $500 profit uh-huh. on it. So I'm making 500 bucks if I sell one. Okay. If you're going to have to hit 40 doors. Yeah. And you got 500 bucks. Yeah. And I walk in. And I say, hey, you have a computer. Do you, like, do you watch things on, on Amazon or on Netflix or something like that? Mm-hmm. Oh, let's just open it up. Plug it in. On the wall. Yeah. You know, it'd have to have a good sound. Yeah, yeah. I'd start talking about movie nights. I'd say, you know, we, we put up a screen in our backyard. <laughs> we have people over. We literally watch the, the Stanley Cup. Uh-huh. It creates community. creates yeah. bonding. People like it more. They want uh-huh. to come here. Uh-huh. Right? And then I talk about the expense of a home theater. Uh-huh. It's, it's going to cost you $2.5 million is what the average <laughs> home theater costs. <laughs> 2.5 <laughs> is the average. That's a great That was in 1987. <laughs> Today, it's, it's $6.8 million. That's <laughs> what the average home theater costs you. And now you can just, I mean, literally, you can just take this anywhere. Uh-huh. Like, let's say you're at the dentist's office and, and you want to watch a movie, yeah. but you want to watch it on the big screen. You set it up in mm-hmm. the lobby. You watch it off your iPad. Yeah, I think most of that, I think, would work. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd survive. Yeah, compared so to donuts. You can't do donuts because it's like 50 cents. You're getting an eight cent profit margin. Um, I would probably sell bicycles. Really? Yeah. I'm trying to think of just something like practical that you could kind of move around and take around with you and that people would enjoy. Like I think that going on bike rides out in nature and you know, getting some exercise <laughs> and stuff like that would be great. And it'd be an easy sell and you could sell. Door like, to door? That's not, yeah. easy. That's not an easy sell. 
I have a Honda Element. I can put him in the back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I asked that question because everybody who's in business has to sell. Yeah. I used to hate selling. Yeah, me too. Because I thought you had to bother people. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, no, you really just like find out what their problem is. Say, here's a solution to it. Yeah. I'm not a sales guy. Yeah. Got an Uber from the airport. I had to go to the airport here in Portland to get a rental car to drive to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uber driver picks me up. Yeah. We have a... 15-minute conversation. He has a business on the side. He sells a spray. I got a can uh-huh. that is like a spray ibuprofen. Oh, really? It's a topical pain. Interesting. And I was kind of like, well, that sounds pretty cool. Like, yeah. How do you sell it? We sell it at conventions. We sell it, you know, all these kinds of things. Uh-huh. You know, practically door-to-door stuff. I mean, at one convention, he can make like 50 grand. And I said, how do you talk about it? I said, hey, you know, I do marketing on the side. We actually have this <laughs> workshop. We help people clarify their business. I would actually say, you've got to feel it to believe it. <laughs> because your, your struggle is nobody knows whether this would work. Yeah. And then if you it, say you got to feel it, you open a story gap, makes them want to buy it, yep. and they feel it. And they, He liked that so much. He's like, what do you do? You do this for a living? I said, yeah, we've got this workshop. You know, Actually, we're doing one here in, in Portland. He was like, how much is that going to cost? I said, it's three grand. And he said, I'm signing up. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be there. That's amazing. I sold a $3,000 product in a 15-minute Uber ride. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, I'm going to make that guy millions of, well, I'm going to make him hundreds of thousands yeah, of yeah, dollars. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. Yeah. But I'm learning that it's really just like, I felt for him Yeah, as he stammered. I'm like, he doesn't yeah. have to do this. He can actually just sell a lot more of that thing. Yeah. Because he wants to take it online. He's tired of traveling. Yeah. I think I'm a sales guy now. You are. Yeah. I also sold him a projector. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I had the same mindset. when, Even when I came on to StoryBrand, you're like, oh, you're going to be a sales guy and do this. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. You, and you killed it, though. Yet when you actually... One, believe in the product and sell it with, I think, integrity by understanding what is your customer's problem and that you can actually help solve that problem. Yeah. Then it doesn't create as much uh, dissonance in you. Yeah. Because you don't feel dirty. You don't feel, you don't feel slimy. You're like a about doctor. Say, yeah. And this guy's got a pain yeah. in his elbow and you got this thing that'll take the pain away. Yep. And so it doesn't feel like a sales thing anymore. It genuinely yeah. feels like I'm serving people. I'm serving people. I am helping people. I am moving them to the place that they want to be and who they yeah. want to become. And if we can't help them, which, you know, I don't know what that would be, but if we can't actually help them, then I don't mind saying, actually, we're probably not a good fit because I really do want to use our product to help people move forward. And when you do that, it doesn't feel sales-y. It just feels like what you said, like a doctor who's solving a problem. I think if you're an executive, if you've got a company, let's say you've got a company with less than 100 employees, I would actually train all of them to be salespeople. Yeah. The janitor. I don't yeah. care. All of them, because they all are going to be asked at some point, where do you work? Who do you work for? I would think, you know, you'd make millions. Anyway, our guest this week is Anthony Anarino. He wrote a book called The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need. And, you know, just a little bit of perspective change. Like, you just diagnose a problem and you give them the medicine, or you offer them the medicine. Those little things, if you can process those and have a few little strategies and tips that just get metabolized in your own brain... That can be worth hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars yeah. in the next year because you're just going to sell naturally. Yeah. So I, I asked Anthony, you know, how do we do this? Like walk us through your book and how do we become better salespeople? So what's in this interview for you is you might come out the other side with some sort of tip, some sort of strategy, some sort of technique that's going to make you thousands of dollars next year. We have lots of uh, interviews that are kind of entertaining and interesting. <laughs> and this is both entertaining, but it's practical. Yeah. And uh, I think it's good advice. And I'm starting to identify as kind of a sales guy now. Yeah. Okay, anyway, we'll get right to the interview. This is Anthony Anarino. Again, he's the author of a book called The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need. Anthony, thanks for joining us on the Building a Story Brand podcast. 
Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I think you are going to have some wisdom for this audience because all of us have to sell things. And especially, we probably have 40,000 listeners or so to this podcast. Most of them sub $5 million companies. Actually, probably most of them sub $1 million companies or at least two. And that means we're wearing many hats. We're, we're the visionary leader and we have to sell things. And we might be really good at it, but none of us really think we're good at it. And we don't really understand that it's a science. So I'm, I'm so glad that you're here because you're actually going to share with us some basic tips on how to sell things without being pushy and annoying and all that. Help us understand, there, if in your book, The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need, there are actually 17 characteristics that we can learn or understand in order to become better salespeople. And you break them up into two categories. One is mindset, and the other is skill set. I was hoping you could share with us a few of the characteristics under the mindset category and the skill set category, for that matter. But what kind of mindset do we need to have in order to be an effective salesperson? One that's empowered, and I'll give you a couple factors. And it, it's interesting, the mindset and skill set thing, because the first publisher who asked me for the book, when I gave them the, the book, they looked at it and said, what does self-discipline have to do with sales? And why would you start a book with self-discipline when no one has any? And it's so negative. And I thought, you've never sold before, have you? And uh, the publisher said, no. And I said, well, I've never written a book. So we're going to have to agree to disagree. I know what I know. And what I know about the mindset is the very best performers in every endeavor tend to have rituals and they tend to have habits that they've built that serve them. They have a certain set of disciplines where they do things the certain way over and over again that allow them to succeed. And in sales, that tends to be things like prospecting. It tends to be things like following up, sending thank you cards, and doing all of these things that make them somebody that's worth doing business with in the first place. And that tends to be one of the roots for success is having that discipline around the things that you're doing. And why I wrote this book and the reason I wrote it the way I did is because a sales manager would say, this is a terrible salesperson. And I would look at them and say, wait, they've got really good business acumen. They're really good with clients. They're really good at figuring out the client's problem, but they really just don't have the discipline to do this work. It's not that they're a terrible person. They just need to develop their disciplines. It forces people to look at them and say, what areas do they need to improve to do better than they're doing? And self-discipline is one of them. And I think, you know, when you think about your own competencies, there are areas that you want to improve. And the mindsets tend to come before the skill sets, because if you have really good skills, but you don't have things like discipline, then the skills don't really amount to as much as they should for you. Give me a day in the life of an effective salesperson, because I learned this as a writer that I've got to get out of bed in the morning. I've got to go to the writing shed in my backyard five days a week, and I need to be there at 7 a.m. so that by 930 I can be done that's the only way I'm going to be a good writer is if I keep up that ritual. What does that ritual for a salesperson look like? For a salesperson, there's a number of things that you have to do on a daily basis. And one of them is to prospect, which means to go and create new opportunities. Another one is to follow up on the existing opportunities that you have. Another one is to make face-to-face -face sales calls. So you have to book appointments to make face-to-face -face sales calls with clients. So there's a number of rituals that you can go through. The best people that I know in sales block an hour first thing in the morning for prospecting because they never want to go a day without checking the box. I did something to create new opportunities. They have a ritual for follow-up. For a lot of people, it's 4.30 in the afternoon. They write thank you cards. They send the email. And just like you do with writing, there's a certain set of behaviors and habits that they've developed that they just do it like a routine. 
And because it's a routine for them, it always gets done. And you know this, it's the consistency over time that delivers the results, right? Yeah, it's a percentage game. So the more you're actually calling, the more you're going to close. And of course, you can close more if you have some other skills, but it's just a percentage game. And it's the same with writing. If I can sit down and write a thousand words five days a week, then I'm going to have a book this year, even if half those words get thrown out. And that's the discipline. So it's not the one thank you card that matters. It's not the one prospecting call. It's the fact that you're consistently doing them, that you build the competencies and you build the work. You've done the work and now you can succeed because you've done it. And that tends to be true for high performers in every segment, sales or otherwise. You mentioned actual timelines. Like you said, 2.30, they might do this, 4.30. How important is it for everybody listening to sit down you know, with a calendar or a sheet of paper and say, you know, they can, of course, customize it the way they want, but at 2.30, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be at my desk at 7. I'm going to work on this. 5 o'clock, I'm going to do this. I can see people going, okay, every day I'm going to prospect, follow up, and have face-to-face meetings. But if you don't actually set times, that's probably not going to happen. What the most effective people do is they block 60 to 90-minute blocks, and they say, I'm going to have three 90-minute blocks of prospecting. And if something interrupts one, they just push it into another time, but they try to maintain the blocks. Gotcha. Because in sales, we do have to give the client what they need from us. Sure. And that sometimes means that we flex to their schedule. Well, another mindset that you talk about is caring. And what do you mean by caring? Here's the biggest change in sales. If you want to look over the last three decades, salespeople were taught to be self-oriented. They were taught to use tie-downs. They were taught to use aggressive language and always be closing and that kind of thing. And those are the exact things that will make you a terrible salesperson. Mm, Really? And the best salespeople are other-oriented. They're more interested in finding out how to help you. And they're not as interested in telling you their story or pitching their product or showing you the slide deck about their business. They're more interested in how do I help this person? How do I serve them? And that caring mindset is what generates trust And it is a builder of confidence that this is the kind of person I can do business with. And this is the other one that we're mentioning that the publisher who read the first book wanted to understand why caring was in a sales book. In his mind, you need to be a hard-nosed closer. And in 1974, that might have been right. But in 2017, you need to be the kind of person that's a trusted advisor. And I continually tease sales audiences I speak to that there's only two things you need to be a trusted advisor. And they shout out all kinds of answers, but it's a simple two-part recipe. You need trust and you need advice and you have to have both of them, but it starts with trust. And if I believe that you're more concerned about getting my outcome for me than making your commission, then I'm going to do business with you. But if it's all about you, you make it very, very tough for me to be a partner and decide I can work with you. And it also builds something other than a one and done relationship. If you're an advisor, I might be buying products from you here and there, but What you're actually providing is something I need consistently for years to come. When I think about the people that I buy things from, they position themselves as advisors. I think you're absolutely right. A third mindset is resourcefulness. How can we be more resourceful? For most of us, it means sitting down with a legal pad and a pen and a smart group of people or a whiteboard and start asking, what could we try that we haven't tried to solve this particular problem? And I think you recognize this, but we live. The information age is just beginning. We're just at the beginning of it. And the industrial age is just ending right now. We're just right on the cusp of this. And what's interesting is that 
our parents and grandparents had a job where they knew what they had to do and the answers were pretty well established and you would do the same thing over and over again. But for the world that we live in now, which is an age of accelerating, disruptive, constant change, we don't know what we're supposed to do and we're solving problems that we haven't had before. And that means that we need to be resourceful and we need to count on our creativity, our imagination, and all these things that are sort of considered softer skills, but they're what the best performers have. The best performers have the ability to look and say, I'm having a challenge reaching somebody inside this prospective client account, so I'm going to try something new and different to get their attention. Or this client has a problem. We've never seen this problem before. We need to come up with a solution that's outside of the kind of solutions that we have now. And that's a higher level skill set that allows people to succeed because we're finding a way when there isn't a well-established path. And I think as people are listening to this and you think about your business, this is really what you want from your people is you want them to bring their best ideas. There's a story of Jack Welch. One time he was doing what they called workout at GE. And that was people got to bring their own ideas and the executive team would listen and they had to say yes or no to 95% of the, the things that were put in front of them on the spot. And one guy said, we have this problem with these screws on a refrigerator and they're always coming off. And if we put them in backwards the other way, we wouldn't have any of these problems. They said, done, that's a great idea. And they were very, very happy with the idea and praising this gentleman. And he turned to Jack Welch and said, sir, you've paid me for my back the whole time I've worked here. And you could have had my brain for free just for asking. And that's the shift. We want to engage everybody's mind inside the whole company to work on solving problems for our clients and for ourselves so we can move things forward. And it's a mindset switched from selling products to solving problems. And our products might be a part of the solution to our customer's problem, but we're really advisors, as you would say, solving problems for people. I wonder, you know, I just find that, you know, StoryBrand really grew because all of our people see ourselves as consultants. And yes, we have these products that we sell that accomplish certain things, workshops and courses and stuff like that. That's not why we're here. We're here to grow your business and make you more money. And this is just a component of that. And, and I totally agree with you there. We'll return in just a moment to the rest of my interview with Anthony Anarino. Welcome to another segment of Marketing Mythbusters with Kula Callahan. Hi, Kula. Hey, Don. What is today's marketing myth? Today's myth is this. Visuals are more important than copy. They are. No, they're not, Don. A picture is worth a thousand words. That's what Plato said. <laughs> well, I hate to break it to Plato. He's probably rolling around in his grave right now. Here's the thing. People buy your product or service because they read words that motivate them to buy their product or da -da. service. I agree. So, you know, 10 years ago, really creative, fancy images is what lured people into your brand mm -hmm. and made them engage with your mm -hmm. messaging. But now that's not the case because everybody's doing that. People buy your stuff when, again, they read words that tell them how you can help solve a problem that they have and make their life better. Exactly. And it's not to discount images. I mean, images, totally. you know, images attract the eye and colors and all those kinds of things. But what we're talking about is the difference between marketing and branding. And branding is... It's all sorts of collateral you create that make customers feel a certain way about Absolutely. a brand, which mm -hmm. is deep stuff, primitive stuff, important stuff. But most companies, they don't do marketing 
and instead they go into branding, which is meaningless. It's worthless to them because they aren't a big enough brand to go out and make people feel a certain way about right. their diet cola. Right? <laughs> they don't have that kind of money. Totally. And they're not doing the marketing. And the marketing is just, if you have this problem, we can solve it. So on your billboard, on your website, in your emails, all that social kind of stuff. Social campaigns. On your social campaigns. Make sure people understand what problem you solve. And the other thing that's interesting about this, Kula, is the brain has to hear something eight times before it begins right. to metabolize the information. And understand what you're asking them to do. That's exactly it. So if you're putting out pretty images, you ain't telling them nothing. <laughs> but here's the reality. It's like, boy, I love that brand. It's such, you know, it makes me feel good. How much money have you spent with them? None. <laughs> <laughs> this is not to discount the feelers of the world because no. we do love talking about our feelings. Yeah. That's right. You know, it's funny because we are story brand, right? And uh, yet we're sort of against branding. And I mean, someone, <laughs> we're not against it, but we're like, hey, do the marketing first. Right. So your words matter. And here's the great thing: words are cheap. They are cheap. They're, they don't cost anything. So most of the time, when I go to a marketing strategy session with a company, you know, I sit down, I look at their collateral, I'm like, you know. It's a beautiful website. Let's mm -hmm. just get rid of all of these words <laughs> and put words that people can understand it. Absolutely brilliant. So important that your words matter. And, you know, a lot of us are going to sit around. We're going we're gonna to say, okay, I'm going to redo the words. And the very first line you come up with that you want to put on your website is just as bad as everything else. <laughs> you say something, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to totally redo the words. Our new tagline is uh, trust is the currency we exchange. <laughs> What do you, what do you, I don't understand what problem you solve if trust How is do you the help currency. Me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they get really cute. So when you pick, you know, it's like you pick up a pen and you pick up a moleskin and you think you have to be a poet. <laughs> don't be a poet. Just say it very, very, very clearly. So I totally agree. Visuals are important, but they don't matter as much as the words. Another great segment with Kula Callahan. Thanks for busting another myth. Absolutely. If you have a team that you'd love to get together, but it's too expensive to fly them to Nashville, we can send a facilitator to you to go through a day and a half workshop and clarify your message. You'll take the words that you create during that day. You'll populate websites, email blasts, brochures, keynotes, elevator pitches, sales scripts. You'll get all of your language refined and clear so that customers begin to listen to you and respond. It directly results in increased revenue. If you want to bring in a facilitator, just go to storybrand.com slash private workshops that's storybrand.com slash private workshops Kula thanks for joining us again thank you until next week well you have two different categories mindset and skill set we just covered a few of the mindsets of a salesperson the rest are in your book the only sales guide you'll ever need but I also want to cover a few skill sets what are a few skill sets that we need to develop if we want to be at a better salespeople. You mentioned prospecting, for example. Prospecting is fundamentally what salespeople do. And if you're listening to this and you have a business, then you are a sales organization. And that is the starting point for understanding this. And what do sales organizations do? We create opportunities and we capture some of those opportunities. And prospecting means going out into the world and saying, who are the kind of people or the kind of companies that have the kind of problems that I can solve? And then how do I initiate a conversation with them so that we can talk about some things that we might do together to help them get a result that they can't get without me? And I want to say this for, for your listeners to understand this. If your prospect could already get the result that you could produce for them without you, they would already be getting that result. And if your competitor could help them get that result, they'd already be helping them. 
So the reason that we prospect is because people don't know that there's a better way to do something or there's a way that they can produce a better result or they haven't seen it in a way that's compelling. And the more time we spend um, prospecting and creating these opportunities, the better your business does. And so the growth of your business is going to be limited to your effort in sales and marketing. And my recommendation, especially for businesses under $5 million, would be make prospecting and marketing the first thing you do. And if you have those, let's say you're going to do three 90-minute blocks of work a day that you're going to really build into a calendar, I'd make the first 90 minutes prospecting specifically to say, I'm going to make sure I'm feeding my business new opportunities because that's where the growth is going to come from. That's awesome. You also talk about business acumen, and and this is actually a, a big deal. Now I'm seeing the importance of being able to understand basic business acumen, but why does my salesperson need to understand how the overall organization works if they're just going to sell things? Well, because if you don't really understand what somebody else is experiencing, and why they want what they want, and why they're challenged with what they're challenged. This is the other half of the two-part recipe for a trusted advisor, right? So the first part is trust. absolutely. The second part is advice. And if you don't know enough about their business, about the choices that are available to them, about the kind of trade-offs they'd have to make to do one thing or another thing, then you can't really give them the advice. So the business acumen is the second half of that recipe to say, You need to know enough about their business and enough about the choices that they need to make and the decisions that they're charged with to be able to give them that advice so that they can make a decision to move forward and do something different than they've done before. And especially with smaller companies, even with larger companies, if you have a really solid business acumen, you probably know more about how business works than your actual clients do. And so you can actually come in and say, hey, here's how this works. You need to improve this, this, and this. You need to improve throughput and you need to improve inventory levels, decrease those, and you need to decrease overhead. And a lot of people don't even understand that. You know, they're just looking at their account going, okay, we've got some money, we can keep going. Throughput's the one I always talk about. Yeah. Because I used to call in logistics companies and they would talk about throughput all the time. And I'm probably 20 years old at the time. And I finally started asking people, I said, you know, I, I get conceptually what throughput is, but what does that mean the way you're talking about it in your business? And I had, you know, 50-year-old men running multi-million dollar businesses teach me throughput. And then later on, I would go to another logistics company and I would say, what are you guys doing about increasing your throughput? And they would say, oh, you know about throughput? Let me tell you, what are you seeing? And it's the fact that we have this vocabulary around business and we can have these conversations You can't be a trusted advisor without having that vocabulary and having that knowledge. And you can't be a trusted advisor without knowing more than the person you're advising, because if they already know everything that you know, there's information parity, so you can't really be an advisor. So this is a big charge for us. We have to learn more, and we have to study so we can help more people. Well, you also talk about change management. And of course, the world is changing very quickly. You even just talked about moving from sort of an industrial age to an information age. How do we handle change as salespeople? This is my second book, which is going to come out on August 8th. It's called The Lost Art of Closing. And basically, closing forever has meant the final ask when I ask you to sign a contract. But really, what closing is now is a series of commitments that actually help people change. So it means I need a commitment from you to spend some time with me. I need a commitment that we're going to explore is change necessary and why. 
I'm going to explore how do we collaborate together to build something that's going to work for your business and get you these results? And how do we build consensus and bring your team together around these ideas? So there's a series of commitments that actually help people change. And a lot of them are around things like collaborating, building consensus, and resolving concerns. Because whenever you ask people to change, as we go down the stretch, we all start to get a little nervous. Okay, what if it doesn't work? Or what if we struggle here? Is this person really going to be able to support us? What if the train comes completely off the tracks and we're right in the middle of our busiest time of the year? You know, can we really do this? And the right person to be in a role right now leading client acquisition or sales is a person who can actually help people through that process because that's really the biggest issue for people is why do I have to change and why do I have to do that now and then how do I do that? And then the last thing is who should I do that with? For a long time, salespeople started with why us? And why us is really the last question we need the client to answer. Yeah. Okay, here's the one that I love most. And I think we should close with this one. You know, story brand, we don't help you tell your story really. We help you understand your customer's story and enter into that story, play a role in that story. But it's all based on 2,000 years of storytelling and the formulas that have come out of 2,000 years of best practices and what it takes to capture a human brain. I love that you actually talk about storytelling as a skill set in sales. And I'm curious about your take on it. Why is storytelling so important? Because stories, you know way more about stories than I ever will. But let me start by just saying, in my view, stories have handles. So I can hand it to you and you can grab the handles and you can carry the story along. And it does capture us. It captures our mind. And I've studied the way that salespeople tell stories. And basically the story for most of us goes, boy meets girl, boy falls in love with girl, boy marries girl, girl lives happily ever after. That's just not a very good story. And it's not very real when it comes to what we're doing when we help people change. And the story really goes, boy decides to go on this journey, and then every single thing that can go wrong along that journey goes wrong. There's a giant dragon. You know, It's beyond anything that we could do. We have to change who we are to be able to get through this thing, and then we're a different person on the other end. And it's this part where we leave out all the things that the client that really has to do, where we get sideways. And the thing that engenders trust is when I tell you, look, from here to here, We're going to have three or four major challenges. Here's what we're going to have to do to solve those challenges. Here's the things that can go wrong and probably will. Here's what we're going to be prepared to do to address those so that we can eventually get to this outcome. And what I discovered in my own selling is the more I could go to a client and say, we will get this right on the third or fourth try, they would say, the third or fourth try, you guys are really good. It would take us eight tries. And that kind of honesty to say, okay, we're going to have all these challenges along the way, then the people who are really interested in change immediately know, okay, this person gets it and we're going to do the work together. And that's the kind of person I can trust. The person who tells me the real story about all the dragons that are along the way, rather than the story that we walk down this primrose path and we automatically get better results. It's the ability to tell the true stories about why do you have to change? What do you have to change internally? What are we going to struggle with? How are we going to overcome these things? And what clients really want to hear from you is they want the anecdotes. What do you do when this goes wrong? What do you do when this happens? And they want to hear you tell the story so they know what you really do in real life. They're not interested in the theory of what you do. They want to hear you tell the stories. Well, that's incredible. I I couldn't agree more. The book is The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need. Anthony Anarino, thank you so much for spending time with us. I think if anybody applies, even the six or seven things we talked about here, 
you're going to see an increase in revenue. But there's a lot more. There's actually 13 characteristics. And of course, Anthony goes into much more detail in his book. Again, the book is the only sales guide you'll ever need. Anthony, we're so grateful for your wisdom and your time today. Thank you for spending time with us. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. JJ, you feel like that helps? I mean, yeah. you feel like now if you went door to door selling bicycles. <laughs> bicycles that I could do it. Yeah. You're getting in the mind shift, get the mind right. Yeah, the mindset, the skill right. set. Yeah. You're going to get up as a habit every day. Yeah. You're going to go to three doors and you're going to say, hey, this is a lovely bike. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think you made a bad choice because there's just different sizes of bikes for different people. You got the Huffy, you got the pink mm -hmm. bike, you got the banana no, seat. I've, I've thought through all those details. <laughs> <laughs> I have a business plan that is going to well, anybody kick your projector. If anybody butt. is set up for success, <laughs> it's you. I just think I could out-projector you. We'll see. I can sell more projectors Time than bikes. Tell. Time will tell. <laughs> All right. Well, wonderful interview with Anthony. We hope that was uh, helpful for you if you have to sell anything. Next week's interview is a guy named Craig Ross. Craig wrote a book called Do Big Things. If you're one of these leaders who just has this giant vision and you scare people because you're like, we're going to take over the world. One way to not have people be so scared is actually have a plan of action on how you accomplish giant things as an organization. That's what next week's interview is about. Just listen to this little clip from my interview with Craig Ross. A lot of people, a lot of leaders, a lot of teams are going to think it's just about confidence. You know, it's all about optimism. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. A friend of mine, Mike Bloomfield, he was a former astronaut. I mean, he did several shuttle missions, was the captain of Atlantis in 2002 mission. And I was talking with him one time. Imagine you're going to work with Mike. You take your seat in this craft that weighs 4.5 million pounds as you're sitting in the launch pad. Your whole body shakes as you're lifted up off the Earth. For the next eight minutes, your craft is going to burn a ton of fuel every second. You go from zero miles an hour to 17,500 miles per hour. I mean, at the end of this thing, you're going 1,000 miles per hour every 15 seconds. I asked Mike, please tell me the story. I said, Mike, come on, I'm a guy. Right, come on, Mike, I'm macho. Weren't you ever scared? I mean, come on, Mike, weren't you ever nervous? And he looked at me and said, trust in the process. When you build a solid process, all that fear, the anxiety, butterflies are still there. But you trust your process. All right, so that's next week. Yep. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Building a Story Brand Podcast. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's music on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand Podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. <laughs>